Open your Bibles to Matthew 20. We are thrilled you're here. And we have a lot of visitors for different reasons, but you are all welcome. And we are thrilled that you have come to worship the Lord with us today. Thank you. In Matthew 20, we see Jesus performing the most common miracle that he ever performs by giving sight to the blind. The text says in verse 29, as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And two blind men, sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet. But they cried out all the more, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened and move with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and they followed him. Now we stated, opening the eyes of the blind the most common of Jesus' miracles. And so obviously, there has to be a deep message in this about who he is. Now, this account is paralleled in Mark 10 and in Luke 18. It is interesting that Mark and Luke only mention one of the persons who is blind. doesn't say there was only one, but it only mentions one, while Matthew mentions two. And that happens four times in the Gospel of Matthew. One of the things that's fascinating about this from the Gospel of Mark is that this blind man is given a name, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Bartimaeus, a name is given to this blind person. One person said that when you see Jesus mentioning a name like this, or the Gospels mentioning a name of someone that Jesus healed or Jesus raised from the dead, that it's like putting a footnote at the bottom of a paper. If you don't believe this, go and check this out. Go and look and see if this is true. For those of you who are faced with people who you're talking with that are wondering if the miracles of the Bible really ever happened, can we believe them? There is a name attached to this that people could check and people could verify that Jesus did this. But this happens as Jesus is leaving Jericho Jericho, about 15 miles north of Jerusalem. There's a large crowd. The next time we will see Jesus, he will be entering in the city of Jerusalem. 
But this is singled out on the road as an event worthy of us to study here in Matthew 20. But these two blind men are sitting on the road. Luke 18 tells us they're, they're asking, what's going on? What's the commotion about? And they hear that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. When they hear that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, the Bible tells us they begin to cry out. Now, it's interesting. They are already described as beggars in Mark's account, in Luke's account. They're beggars. And in John 9 verse 18, or John 9 verse 8, that blind man who was healed by Jesus is also described as one who was begging daily. In the ancient world, there weren't a lot of job opportunities for those who were blind. So they are beggars, they are blind, and they are crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, for those who had set their minds to follow Jesus, who were part of this large crowd, and who were on the way to Jerusalem, this is an interruption unworthy of Jesus. And the text tells us the crowd sternly told them to be quiet. This is the same word rebuked that was used back in Matthew 19 in verse 13. Some children were brought to Jesus so he might lay hands on them, and the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, allow the little children to come to me. They're doing the same thing. The crowd is making the same mistake here. When these blind men are crying out to Jesus for mercy, Son of David, have mercy on us, they're rebuked. They're told to be quiet. But that doesn't stop them. They continue to cry out for mercy. And Jesus stops and calls them. Now, I know we get used to what Jesus did and what Jesus said. And we can lose the power of it. Here is a man on the way to the electric chair who is stopping and serving this blind man on the road. He is going to Jerusalem to die. And yet, he feels these blind men who the crowd feel are unworthy. He feels these blind men are worthy of him stopping and summoning. I want to tell you, When you follow Jesus, that may mean that your closest friends are nobodies and outcasts of the world. People the world doesn't have time for. Jesus stopped and served these people. And oh, how this illustrates all that we've studied the last few weeks with the last will be first and the first will be last. It, it illustrates this person that the crowds feel is unworthy of attention. And, and Jesus asks these men, what do you want me to do for you? 
What do you want me to do for you? Basically, the same question that he asked in verse 21 to James and John and their mother. What do you want me to do? And they said, Lord, we want our eyes open. And the Bible tells us that Jesus felt compassion on them. Again, in spite of all his problems, he has compassion upon these blind men in the crowd. And these are other passages in Matthew where we see compassion was the thing that led Jesus to do these miracles. He had compassion upon them. He touched their eyes and they were healed. Jesus sometimes touched an unclean leper and and made them clean. Sometimes he touched a dead person and caused them to arise. And here he touches the eyes of these blind men. And they see. They see. And immediately... They follow him. Now, what are we to learn from this miracle? What are we to learn from this miracle if our vision is 2020? Is there anything left for us to learn from this particular account? One thing you see. The blind men know their need. Well, you might ask, how could they not know their need? After all, they're blind men. We have mentioned the fact that Mark and Luke highlight the fact they're beggars. How could these people not realize the profound need that they have? That's that's a good question. It is a question that comes to each of us. How could we realize? How could we not realize our profound need? Our profound need of Him. Usually in the Gospels, When the term blind is used, and it's used much more frequently in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John than it is throughout the rest of the New Testament, but usually the word blind is used in a physical sense that people did not have physical sight, but it's also used spiritually as well. For example, the Pharisees are said to be blind guides of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, they will both fall into a pit in Matthew 15 and verse 14. So so the being blind can be being blind spiritually. And we're told if we haven't added to our faith, virtue, and virtue, godliness, etc., that we are blind and we have forgotten that we are purged from our sins. But to show you how we can fail to recognize 
our need. How we can fail to recognize our dependence upon God. How we can fail to recognize that we are blind and we need to see. Fail to recognize that we need help. The church at Laodicea in Revelation 3 and verse 17, it said, Because you said, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You do not realize that these things are true of you, that you are miserable and poor and you are blind. You are blind. Now, are we blind? Are we able to see our desperate need of him. The Bible says in Jeremiah 10 in verse 23, O Lord, the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6 says, Lean not in your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. And there are a lot of people in our world who feel they are adequate to guide themselves who feel they are adequate and they put their trust in themselves and they lean upon themselves. And one thing that should characterize us is that we don't know, we acknowledge that we don't know the way to go, that we cannot direct our steps, that we are totally dependent upon him for sight. If you have any insight about life that will ultimately do another good for eternity it comes from him and it comes from his word and there are all kinds of blind people in our world who have degrees attached to their name who teach at places like Harvard and Yale and Oxford who are blind guides. One book that I was reading a few years ago by one that was a professor at one of those schools who has a Ph.D. or had a Ph.D. in biology, is arguing that there is no purpose in human life. Now, since when did that become a subject for biology? How can a person say that? There's no purpose for human existence? What I'm saying... Is there all kinds of blind people who think they see? And we have to understand our need and our dependence upon him. Now, let me show you a blind man. Who knew he was blind? Look at Luke 18. Luke 18, 
The account of this parable is given in verses 35 through 43. Now, right after this parable, the next thing in Matthew, the next thing in Mark is the triumphal entry of Jesus. But there are a couple of things placed between the triumphal entry and this opening the eyes of the blind. There are a couple of things placed between it in the Gospel of Luke. But immediately preceding, there's a story that's very significant for our purposes this morning. And remember, we've tried to state quite regularly that we can understand these gospel accounts to some degree by seeing what goes before them and what comes after them. And what comes after this account of Jesus opening the blind man at Jericho, Jesus opening this blind man and telling him his faith has made him well, what comes after this in the gospel of Luke? In Luke 19, verse 1, the Bible says he entered Jericho and he was passing through and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Now, if you look up that word rich in the Gospel of Luke, every other time it is used either negatively or at least uh, not positively. It's, it's neither positive nor negative. But, but sometimes clearly negatively. The reason is because riches can blind us to our need of God. But here is a person who's not going to fit that mold. He's a chief tax collector and he was rich And in verse 3, Zacchaeus was trying to see, to see who Jesus was. And he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran ahead of him and climbed up in a sycamore tree in order to see him. For he was to pass through that way. This rich man is mentioned positively. You know why? Because he understood his need. He understood how dependent he was upon Jesus for sight. And he rushed ahead because he wants to see him and he doesn't think he can get a good view of him over the crowd. So he climbs in a tree. And you know the story. He said, hurry, come down, for today I must go to your house, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus hurries and comes down. He says, half of my possessions I give to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone of anything, I'll pay him back four times the amount. He says, salvation has come to this house. If you look in verse 9, the word salvation is the same word used in verse 42 of chapter 18, when the blind man was told your faith has made you well, it has saved you. The point is, there's a comparison. And just as Jesus is able to give light on a physical level, he's able to give light on a deeper and spiritual level. 
And so the same is true of us. We are people who recognize we don't know how to guide our way and how to direct our path. But as we surrender to him, as we look for his guidance, as we lean on his word, then we are. We are following the right path. They know their need, and these blind men know who Jesus is. Now, I don't remember all I said when I preached on Matthew 9, 27 through 31. Uh, That account is very similar to this one in Matthew 20, verses 29 through 34. It's very similar. In both cases, you have two blind men. In both cases, they ask for mercy. And in both cases, they identify Jesus as the son of David. Now, one of you asked me a question. When we were on that, I can't remember who asked this question, but one of you asked, and I made this point in passing, that, that there is a, an intimate connection in the Gospel of Matthew with the term son of David and the fact that he opens the eyes of the blind. Now, I don't remember who asked me that question, but I do remember my profound answer. I said, I don't know. But I thought about it. I, I thought about it. And I don't know that this is the whole picture. But first of all, I just want you to see the connection. Look at Matthew 9, 27. Look at the passage. Matthew 9, 27. And what we are, we're making a point of the connection between blindness And the recognition of Jesus as the son of David. Jesus went on from there. Two blind men followed him crying out, have mercy on us, son of David. In Matthew 12, verse 22, beginning. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so the mute man spoke, and the mute man saw. All the crowds were amazed and were crying and were saying, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? So again, a connection between Jesus making the blind to see and Jesus being the son of David. Look at Matthew 21. In Matthew 21, verses 14 and 15, in Jesus' cleansing of the temple, an event only recorded in Matthew's cleansing of the temple is this. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant. So three times in the gospel of Matthew, outside of this, There is a connection between the blind given sight and their proclamation of Jesus as the son of David. Now, I'll tell you one thing that makes this striking as well. In Mark and Luke, in Mark and Luke, 
This is the only time that term son of David is used. So there's a connection between him giving sight to the blind and between him as the son of David. And I invite your further thoughts on this. But I think the text is intentionally making a point. This is a truth that's so clear, that's so plain, that a blind man can see it. I think that's the point. And as we see when we get to Matthew 21, and some of the chief priests and scribes are critical of them calling to Jesus, son of David, you have to make an effort not to see who Jesus is. Remember how John sent messengers and he says, are you the one that should come? Is it messengers to Jesus? Are you the one that should come? Or do we look for someone else? And, John, and Jesus said to John's messengers, go and tell John what you see and what you hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, etc. But the blind receiving their sight is proof I am the one that is to come. But the blind men can see this even before they're healed. Do you come here every week and you aren't so sure that we really should invest our time, our energy, and our life in following Jesus? Just study these books. Study them. See who he is. See what he did. See if he is worthy of us investing our time and our energy and our life in. But I'll tell you, it's remarkable. When you look at the New Testament, what people who were blind could see. In John 9, you have the religious leaders saying of Jesus, he is a sinner because he does this on the Sabbath. They say, we don't know where this man is from. We know God spoke from Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he's from. And the blind man says, you don't know where he's from? Since the beginning of time, it's never been heard that a person who's blind is able to see. No man can do a miracle like this except God is with him. That blind man that blind man could see what those with a religious education couldn't because they didn't want to. Because they didn't want to. And I thought about somebody else who was blind and who saw. He was so enraged at the Christians. He was going to the city of Damascus to persecute them and Suddenly on the way, there was a bright light that shined and brought him to his knees. And a voice said, Paul, 
Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. After Paul gets up from that experience, he, he has to be led by the hand. He, his eyes are open, but he doesn't see anyone. He has to be led by the hand to the city of Damascus. But in that moment, this blind man is beginning to see. He's beginning to see. And when Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 3 of when the old law is read, there's a veil over the heart. But when you turn to Christ, the veil is taken away. I think at this moment that Paul is blind, the veil is taken away. And he is seen that he is the fulfillment of all of the law and all of the history of Israel and all of the prophets and all of the Psalms that he sees this blind man is seen. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this. They knew who Jesus was. They knew who he was. And they are persistent in their determination to follow him. Lord, have mercy on us. When the crowd say, be quiet, they're not quiet. And they continue to cry out for mercy. When Jesus calls them, they throw aside their garments, recorded in Mark. They throw aside their garments. They rush to him and say, Rabboni, we want to receive our sight. And he touches them. And he heals them. It is always interesting to hear the story of how people come to find light in Jesus. A couple of days ago, a person wanted to be to meet with me who is soon moving to um, town from Spain. And he wants to come to America because of all the opportunities to learn about God and to follow his word. But he was raised in Brazil and he was telling me the story of, he was telling me the story of how he came to faith in Christ. He said he was not really religious as he was raised and grown up. From a hereditary sense, many of the people were, were Catholics, and he would have probably said that was his faith. He said one day he encountered a Jehovah's Witness, and as he was talking to the Jehovah's Witness, trying to, trying to just throw him for a loop, he thought, he said, why don't you believe in the saints? He didn't know much about praying to the saints, but he says, why don't you believe in it? And this Jehovah's Witness responded, because it's not in the Bible. And he said, that had a profound impact on me. 
He said, I started thinking, maybe I should just look into the Bible for answers. Soon after that, there was a person who was very close to him who took his life in suicide. And he said, I was grieving over the suicide. And I heard people debating back and forth. What's happening to him? What will happen to him in eternity? And he said people were saying different things. And I thought, where can I go to look for the answer? And he said, I started reading the Bible. And he said, I started reading the Bible and I, I couldn't make up sense of everything, but he said, I could see certain things. And he said, the more I read, the more I came to understand. And then he described how he came in touch with Denny Allen. And he helped him to put the things he was reading together. But even though his physical vision is fine, in a sense, he was a blind man who saw his need to see and he saw that Jesus and his word was the answer to that. And my friend, I would say that's the same for all of us. If you're blind and you need sight, if you're lost and you need to be found, if you're feeling a sense of sin and guilt, there is forgiveness in him. The one who gave sight to the blind can give you sight and cleanse you of your sin just as Paul was told or Saul was told. As he was not eating and drinking for three days, he was, Ananias came in and laid his hands upon him so that he might receive his sight. And Saul asked, and Ananias asked, and now what are you waiting on? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. If you're blind, you can receive sight in the same way Zacchaeus did if you come as we stand and as we sing.